wherever you may be. Welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alvstead, and featuring Seahawks sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers. Welcome, Seahawks fans, to the Hawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alvstead. I am here, as always, with Keith Myers, the now famous Keith Myers. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say that, but okay. How are you doing, Bill? (laughs) I'm doing okay. I'm doing, I've got a head cold, so I apologize ahead of time. If I cough or sneeze or whatever, don't pay attention to me. Not like you're paying attention to me anyway, but now I've got an excuse. Uh, we, we came through the first regular season, Keith, and it didn't come out on our side, but I think, uh, as we saw in our, our prediction show the previous week, uh, this was always going to be a, a, a tough game on the road in green Bay, a place where we haven't won since 99, seven straight losses or eight straight losses, something like that. Um, given the fact that Russell Wilson, you know, seems to struggle um a bit against green bay now at this point you can kind of point to a trend um we ended up losing this one uh but it wasn't for a lack of effort at least for two of the three uh key groups on the on the seahawks the defense and special teams the offense however really struggled and we're going to get into that we're going to talk about uh what our thoughts are we've got some takeaways from the game and then uh Towards the end of the show, the last 15 minutes or so, we'll take some time and we'll preview the next game, which is at home against the 49ers. That looks like a uh, how do you fix your offense game? You play the 49ers at home. Um, Yeah, the the 49ers are one of those teams where it's it's a get right game, right? So you get a chance to to get everything right, figure things out. Uh, It's kind of like, you know, one of those games where you can really just try some things and, and, you know, kind of use it like a, like an extended practice. Cause you know, talent wise, you are just significantly better than, than your opponent. Well, the only concern that I have out of that game, Keith, is they do have a pretty decent front four, uh, on their team. And we're going to talk about that a little bit and what that means, given the fact that our front five on offense, uh, seems to be in a early season funk, and that's putting it generously. So, but first, that's... let's talk about what's in the news. And Keith Myers is in the news with his very first viral tweet. The Just How Tom Cable Drew It Up tweet drew over 1,000 likes and several hundred retweets. And uh, why don't you draw it up the way you see, see that Keith what was that tweet all about that was crazy I was just watching the game and just watching all the free rushers coming at Russell Wilson on every play and there was one that looked especially bad and so I you know it was DVR just backed it up a little bit took a picture of um what was going on which had the 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 Packers rushed three dropped eight into coverage and all three of them got through and so you've got four Seattle linemen. Britt's the only one not in the picture. Turned around, looking at uh, you know the Green Bay linemen who are Chase, in between chasing, chasing yeah. Russell Wilson. Uh, and it's not like this is a one of those plays where Wilson held onto the ball a long time and it was ran around all you know and it just happened to line up. No, this was like a snap. Wilson gets the ball and has to run for his life instantly because all three yeah. of the guys got through. 
Um, so I just took a picture of it and and tweeted it out, just being just in my own frustration, and it just took off. Like everyone, it, it hit seems her nerve. To, yeah, everyone seems to be like, oh my god, like this is what we're looking at, and it. I don't know. It's just the game was very, very frustrating. As someone who knows offensive line, I scout offensive line for the draft. I mean, that's the offensive line play is my thing. And trying to watch the Seahawks play when you're an offensive line guy is really painful right now. Well, and that's our first uh, featured segment takeaway with the Green Bay Packer loss is the offensive line play. I mean, to me, that was kind of the worst case scenario given the preseason hope that we had looked like an improving group they certainly didn't play uh, as bad as they played in green bay in the preseason so you had some semblance of well maybe they can put this together maybe the investments that they have been making on the line will be enough to to at least allow them to be average uh maybe the development of a fetty and the development of some of the other guys uh that are only two or three years uh, new into the NFL would put them in a, in a place that, that didn't allow this game to happen the way that it happened. But it looked like that group was put together that morning of, of the game and they had no coordination. They looked discombobulated. They looked overpowered. I mean, literally there were moments where uh, our linemen were just getting pancaked on the way to a defensive lineman running in to our backfield or chasing Russell Wilson around or whatever. Um, you know, I think Russell Wilson was pressured or sacked or tackled uh, after a throw like 60, 70% of all of the dropbacks. I think I read that it was 64%. So it's yeah. just under just under two, two times out of every and, three. And that he, would lead the NFL in any year. In any year, yeah. Usually, uh, like Russell Wilson led the 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 league in pressures a couple of years ago. Like how many, how often he was pressured, and it was like forty one or forty two percent. And he's he's at like sixty four percent in this game, which is just crazy. It's 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 bad. And the thing about you look at this is where where's the improvement? We knew this was the Achilles heel of the team last year. Okay, that and injuries. You know, guys like uh, Earl Thomas getting hurt, but it was the offensive line that held this team back more than anything. And so they went into this offseason knowing that they had to make improvements. They signed a couple key free agents. They used a second-round pick uh, on a guy, and they trot out a line, which is worse than it was a year ago. What does this it was, tell you, Keith, when uh, you have an, a line like this, yet your second-rounder post can't even get on that line? Well, it tells me the exact same thing when you had a third-round pick a year ago, a third-round offensive tackle who couldn't get on the field, and instead they ran out Bradley Soule, who was a a career backup, and George Fant, who was a basketball player, uh, instead of the third-round pick. It's just it's frustrating because what it's saying is that these draft picks are not developing that their talent into production, into quality play the way that they should. And we should probably be looking at Tom Cable for that. I mean, Tom Cable is responsible for putting a product out on the field. Now, yes. if you if if you were to just look at our talent overall, 
it's not a terrible group. I mean, these are not terrible players. You've got Britt, who's showed really good talent last year. I think uh, Fetty uh, can certainly run block. We can give him that. Uh, Jokel, while struggling on the outside edge on the left side at tackle, when he moved inside, didn't play terrible last year, but he wasn't anything less than middling. I mean, he was still halfway decent. Odiambo was, uh, they've talked about him developing and being uh, better. Um, Glowinski now in the league three years. Come on. Uh, something's got to give here. There's all sorts of, uh, I, w- I was looking at games uh, yesterday on the Red Zone uh, NFL channel. Puts out a, a, basically you can cover every game. And I was looking at lines, just looking. And um, overall, a lot of lines struggled. Uh, a lot of penetration by defensive lines into backfields and blowing up plays and so forth. So this isn't completely unique to Seattle. But like Keith said, here's a here's a team that knew exactly what its problem was coming into this offseason, set out to address it, did address it, beefed up our running game, and yet here we are. Now, granted, it's just the first game. I you have to have a little bit of perspective thrown into this thing. I know that it's tough. It looked Worst case scenario to everyone, I get that. But there's a long way to go in the season. There's uh, a lot of games where we can see improvement. And I'm hoping this next game gives them an opportunity to turn it around. Just on pride alone, Keith, they've got to do better. Yeah, I hope so. Um, They can't do worse. I mean, genuinely, they can't. And that was, you look around the league, as you said, Bill, and, and there is a lack of quality offensive line play kind of everywhere. And people point to that and they use that excuse for, oh, well, see, it's not that bad in Seattle. Yes, there is a lack of quality offensive line play around the league. And Seattle is significantly worse than everybody else anyways. And that to me is important. And to me, all of this has to come back to Tom Cable and his inability to turn all of these draft picks, all of these uh, good, talented players that have physical talents into actual uh, players on well, the field. Let me ask you this, Keith. Does the scheme, this Tom Cable scheme match Daryl Bevel's offensive scheme overall? I mean, is is there a confusion there taking place between those two groups where something is just not quite right between those guys. Tom, I'm talking Tom Cable and Bevel. In a, in a sense, yes, because uh, what you have with Cable is... So Cable is the running game coordinator. That's one of his three titles, along with offensive line coach and assistant head coach. Uh, and so he spends all of his time as a coach teaching run blocking when i'm at when i was at training camp and watching because i watched the offensive line a lot he teaches it's you know, everything's run blocking skills run blocking technique I, I i've never seen him spend more than about five minutes on a pass blocking technique or anything and because he's the run game i, I really think part of that is because he's the run game coordinator and so you have bevel who is a if you look at his like uh, genealogy as a coach, you know he comes from 
a West Coast system. The, you know, it was originally the Green Bay system, then before he moved to Minnesota and then came here. So there's there's that. He's he's a, a passing game kind of guy. Uh, he was a college quarterback. So he has this idea, you know, with what he wants to do within the passing game. And he's being given this group of offensive linemen that do not know how to pass block and aren't being taught how to pass block. And so at what, I, there, at there what point, Keith, does Cable get, held, uh, Cable get held accountable and we move on from Cable? I mean, is that even an option? Not Maybe not during the season, obviously, but at some point, by having a poor offensive line, you're artificially capping the potential of your team. And this team has the potential to go to the Super Bowl. Everyone can see that. That's not disputable. But you've got this offensive line that's going to get your quarterback killed. And if we don't have our quarterback, our 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 hopes for a Super Bowl are gone. Yeah. And you can't you can't be this inconsistent. You have to be able to consistently move the ball. You have to be able to consistently uh, convert third downs. You've got to consistently be able to keep your defense off the field enough for them to catch their breath. See, you, you ask, uh, when does Tom Cable get held responsible? He should have been held responsible two years ago when he trotted out Drew Nowak at center. Uh, a defensive lineman with no technique, no skill, no knowledge of what he's supposed to be doing and he trotted him out there as the starter for half the season um at center making line calls yeah and making very poor line calls and 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 just that should have been the point where they're like okay he's like this has to change yeah that went five games too long yeah. I mean, that, that thing no. went, that experiment went, well, it should have stopped in the preseason. It should it have stopped have, in the preseason. It, it would have for most coaches, I would think. In but, any other team, Noak would never have started a game uh, in the regular season. So and, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Okay. I, I just, I can't. I mean, it is what it is. And it's on, it's, it's in that meeting room right now. They they literally have to solve it between the ears because the physical ability of these guys is good enough, mm-hmm. I think, in order to be able to at least give Russell Wilson three seconds. Yeah, you know, and so it comes down to pride and effort. I'm I'm sorry, it just does. Those guys are just gonna have to suck it up and just say, you know what, I'm not gonna let my quarterback get hit, and it and and that's that's it. I mean. There's and that's really the only thing that you can hope for at this point. The season started. We're not going out and getting five new offensive linemen. It just isn't going to happen. We're not going to fire Cable in the middle of a season. Unlikely. Um, they just need to figure it out, and I hope that they do because the entire season really depends on it. Yeah, I mean, the, it's it's very frustrating, and I have very little hope. Uh, given the guy in charge, that they're going to figure this out. It just, and that is what it is. It, what's going to have to happen is that uh, Russell Wilson and Daryl Bevel are going to have to figure out how to get Wilson on the move directly at the snap. Yeah, like, yeah. move that pocket outside. Yeah, do some play action stuff. A lot more, of play action out, yeah. outside the pocket, and they need to develop that um, that run game with Wilson. You know where uh, they're they're looking at him as as uh, what do you call it, Keith? I can't remember. <laughs> Sorry, it's a, the zone read. Yeah, yeah, the zone read. They've got to have that zone read 
um, drawn up in there as well. They've really moved away from that. That was a very dynamic piece of the offense uh, that has virtually just gone away. Well, they've, they've moved away from it because Wilson's getting hit enough and they don't want to put him at risk more than he already is because he's taking hit after hit after hit because the line is so bad. They don't want to get him involved in the running game and say, here, we want you to take five more hits even on top of that. Well, they're already taking chances leaving him in the pocket. They might as well take a chance and move him out. <laughs> yeah, that's a, there's that too. So let's go through some of the other things that uh, we saw during the game. One of the things that I saw that was interesting to me, Keith, was uh, Terrence Garvin uh, played 30 snaps at, at the Sam linebacker, and Bradley McDougald only played one snap at safety. And if you look at the snap counts uh, overall, um, I was shocked that Chancellor, Sherman, Wagner, Wright, and Thomas all played 100% of the defensive snaps. Given how much they were on the field, because the offense did so little and did nothing, and so they were forcing all of these guys to be on the field the whole time, um, I was actually a little surprised to see that too, especially when you've got a guy like McDougal who's a starter, you know, just to get uh, Cam Chancellor a couple of snaps here or there to get a drink and, you know, or, or you know, just I, I was a little surprised at that. But at the same time, you know, you, the defense was going to have to carry the team and you want your star players out there. And uh, I was a little surprised to see Terrence Garvin getting 30 snaps at Sam linebacker because you generally you're only looking at your Sam linebacker getting to play somewhere between 25 and 30% of the snaps because you're in the nickel. Now I I'm guessing some of that had to do with the fact that um, Jeremy Lane got ejected very early in the game. And so they didn't have their nickel corner. And so, you know, they went with, with Garvin, who's a starter, over Coleman, who is a guy they just acquired and played more, you know, in, in that that round. But it was it's still interesting that they ran with their their base defense yep. as well, much as even, they did. Well, and even even uh, Griffin, who just played completely lights out after Lane left, played ninety four percent of the snaps. And I I don't imagine that he was probably going to play more than seventy percent of the snaps. Although that's still a pretty good chunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a difference of like twenty snaps and. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it was that defense, dude. I it was just amazing. I mean, I was amazed. Now, you have to take it with the. You have to understand. Everyone's going to think, oh, well, the Seahawks didn't win, or they didn't keep him out of the end zone, or whatever. Yeah, they pretty much did. I mean, uh, they didn't allow anything in the first half, and then that they gave him a, a touchdown with uh, the Russell Wilson fumble at the five yard line, or whatever it was, seven yard line. And they just rambled in after that. It was kind of a gimme. And then uh, everything else was just tight and close and uh, well played. The defensive line looks like it's just going to be a monster this year. I mean, it's it's I'm, I'm very excited. But when you play 82 snaps in a game, something seriously went wrong with your offense. And yeah. that was completely evident. Unless you're like, you know, uh, the... Uh, the Rams from like 1999, you know, with that air game, you know, you're going to run 45 plays and win the game by, you know, 24 points. That's not the Seahawks. 
something something happened, and obviously something did happen to their offense, and it was sucky. But boy, you can't take anything away from the defense, Keith. Well, let's look, look at this in perspective. Like the 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 what was it? Eighty two plays they were on the field. The offense did nothing. They they it was a two to one ratio in terms of time of possession, where the Packers had the ball for two minutes for every one that the Seattle had. It was like forty to twenty, you know, something yeah. like that. And uh, and yet the defense gave up ten points to Aaron Rodgers in that offense. Ten points, uh, because I'm not I'm not counting the seven that uh, was gifted to the Packers because of the you know the fumble right there on the right next to the goal line. Um, and then the other thing it was that they had a pick six. And granted, it was called back, and and the Seahawks ended up with the ball at midfield instead, but. You know, they, they gave up 10 points and they scored six. That's how well the defense played. Uh, and it's that was an incredible performance. And I know there are people out there nitpicking about the third down uh, percentage because, oh, yeah, they gave up a lot of receptions on third down or whatever. But if you look at what they did, by eliminating the, the, those explosive plays because they didn't get any other than the one big touchdown, um, everything was – it was, you know, third down and six, and they gave up seven when they, you know, when they when they allowed those conversions. And what you do when you do when you don't give up big plays, you force these teams to convert time yeah. after time after time after right, time in right. order in order to move down the field and score points. And right. at some point, when you have to, when your margin of error is so little because one missed conversion over on a drive ends your drive, um, drive stop. And that's what happens. Yeah. And so they were able to, to limit points by just making the, this team grind it out. And this is a yeah. really, really good offense with probably the best quarterback in the NFL. Any other team, you know, especially with a lesser quarterback, they're not going to score. It's funny, Keith. You said something that, that I think maybe our offense, our offense could have been successful at yesterday, which was to grind it out. Um, often... Uh, because Bevel wants to wants to hit those big plays, we try to go for extended uh, yardage, and our offensive line just isn't there yet. And so you you're asking our line to protect Russell Wilson in these uh, passing routes and so forth that take uh, four, five, six seconds to develop, and we've got like two seconds right now, uh, maybe two and a half, and so we need those quick slants and. You know, let's let's run a really nice screen pass, uh, a traditional screen pass where you dr- allow those linemen that are really uber aggressive right now to just run in and dump it right over the top of them. I don't see any of that, Keith. What's going on? Well, a lot of that has to do with Russell Wilson's skill set. He's not great at throwing a, a slant or a screen. Those just yeah, but if you move him out of the things, pocket, he is. Those are things he does. Well, true, but if you're moving him out of the pocket, then you're not really running a slant or a screen uh, because the timing is, is is what it is. So it's he is good at buying time. Throw, he's got probably the best deep ball in the NFL, and they're trying to play to his skills. And you're right; they they need to they need to set that up a little better with some shorter passes, getting him on the move. Uh, they have to they have to run the ball better. You know they how they say you've got to you've got to take what the defense gives you. Well, we've got to take what our own offense gives us. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. There's that. You know? There's I definitely mean, it's, that. It's, we just we, we have to admit what we are until we get better and prove it. We we have to admit that, you know, Wilson's going to have 
uh, at best on most downs, two and a half to three seconds. Some downs he's going to be able to do better. But and maybe they need to start passing more on first down and setting up a run with a short yardage um, pickup for a first down. That sort of thing kind of flip that around a little bit. I don't know what it is. And I don't even want to talk about the offense anymore. <laughs> well, I, there is one there is one thing about the offense that I think we need to mention, and that is that Chris Carson looked like yeah. shit. No, you're he right. Only got, he only got six carries, and that needs to at least double. Yeah, I think in 15, 15 touches a game for Carson at least. And mm-hmm. if you're going to split that time with Rawls, I think that makes sense. Um, if the person Rawls who's is lose- healthy. I would say the person who needs to lose his snaps is Eddie Lacy right now. I think Eddie Lacy offers the team something with that pure power up the gut, run people over style, but the, the, the run blocking is just not there for him. And he's not going to make people miss three yards in the backfield and turn it into something the way Carson and Rawls um, can. And so I think until the, run blocking improves we you, you got to sit Lacey down and let Carson have those snaps because Carson is the is legit and Lacey is he is what he is he's really good at certain things but he's not this well-balanced can do everything player the way Carson is I think Eddie Lacey it seems to me just looking at him uh needs a line to be a more of a power line that uh allows him to develop behind a certain uh, run-blocking scheme. He needs a little bit more time to hit a hole than Carson does. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just not as quick, and he's, you know, it, it. he may be as powerful, but I haven't seen it. Well, um, once he gets going, so we'll Eddie Lacy is really tough to bring That's down. true. That's line, true. Line, linebackers hate playing against him, and that's the whole idea of having him on the roster is you get him – you get him up on the linebackers where he's yeah. you know, hitting those guys and they're it's going to wear them down and wear them out. And that's what they want. But you've got to get him to the linebackers. And right that, now, and that's the where line I just think, can't do it. That's where I think he, he would look good, like on the Cowboys line or something like that. Oh, man. Open those mammoth holes and you get to the second level. Put him, yeah, put him in Dallas or in Oakland and, or one of those lines that's good and, and teams would hate him. But in Seattle, where, line, where the offensive line is terrible, he he just doesn't belong out there right now. And I think they need to stick with Chris Carson, given the state of the line. He's just better at doing yeah. the things that, that is necessary to be successful right now. Well, there's so much to like about Chris Carson. He's going to be a fantastic back for Seattle for a long time. You know, yeah. Barring any injury, anything like that at all, Chris Carson's probably going to be our featured back going forward i would think rawls just can't be dependable he might be available this week um if he can make it through practice <laughs> but uh and i like rawls i mean when he's healthy rawls is a dynamic little little guy i mean he's a nice runner runs with power given his size uh he can break away he's got a twitch about him mm-hmm. um but carson you can just see yeah. is could be our dependable bell cow back for a long time so yeah, he's the he is the guy um, that we want Rawls to be, in that he has all the same sets of skills and just has the ability to dominate, but also doesn't get hurt. Um, and so, I the two of them together on the roster is going to be fun because you know you always if when one has to come out, you bring the other one in, and that's a lot of talent right there. But Rawls just has to prove that he can be durable and and his body can hold up to football. 
So the next uh, thing that I had written down, we talked about it briefly, was uh, the rise of uh, Quill Griffin uh, on on the team. I mean, he really looked solid. I mean, there was that one play where uh, um, there was the throw to the sideline uh, about uh, 30 yards downfield, and Griffin was right on that guy, right on his hip, turned his head around, made a play for the ball. That was a good sign, Keith, right there, that Mm -hmm. play. Yeah, because in the preseason he was the the coverage would have been there, but he wasn't getting his head around, um, and you know so there were opportunities for interceptions that he didn't get, a couple catches that he gave up that where he was in position to make a play and didn't because he didn't get his head around, and he did in this game. I thought he played really well. He, you know he gave up more catches than you'd like. Uh, a lot of the third down conversions were against him, but at the same time, you know. He wasn't getting beat deep ever, and none uh, of those receivers really broke away from him. I mean, he was—he no, had ten solo tackle tackles, yeah. which so, led the team. So, so yeah, so he gave up the reception, but then made the tackle right there, which is what the team wants: is is uh, keep the play in front of you, make the sure tackle, force the opposing team to be perfect in order to march down the field using a long uh, drive. And eventually, they won't be perfect, and that's what happened. And that's—he was a big part of the reason why they only gave up 10 points. I mean, he played really well. This is his first game, and he's going up against Aaron Rodgers and that offense. So what did you think about the Lane ejection, Keith? Well, I think Jeremy Lane's an idiot. I think that's pretty safe to say because, sure, he he didn't throw a punch. He shouldn't have been ejected. But at the same time, he was already getting involved in – you know, pushing and jawing and stuff that all this what we call extracurricular activity is on the field that just doesn't need to happen. And yep. then he took... And he's got he, a history of that. Yes. And he, sure, it wasn't a punch. And so therefore, by rule, it shouldn't have been an ejection. But he still went after a player and drove his forearm into the guy's face on the ground. Well, legit, so, though, the guy had his face mask and was tugging on him prior to that. True. I mean, but but I'm I'm just saying, like... Be smarter about it. You're at you. There's a point in which you're hurting your own team. Don't do that. So that's that's my take on it. Is what you th- what do you think about the pick that that led to that? Oh, Nas Jones with the interception, and that should have been a fat guy touchdown. Oh, dude, that oh, I'm was so nice. mad. I'm that so mad that nice. it got called back because I mean, really, it was two penalties. They called um, they called the one on Lane and whatever, and then they called um, Cliff Pushing Averill. Back on Averill, yeah. Yeah, and Averill said that was a what was it, a Michael Jordan rule where he get, gets the gets the call when he shouldn't. I, you know, honestly, Averill, don't touch. Here's the thing: you you didn't need to make that block. You didn't need to to even tr- to to make contact there. And I get defensive linemen like hitting quarterbacks, um, especially after interceptions. But he, the guy was getting a touchdown. Let him have it. Like, don't 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 risk it. Um, I'm happy. Nas Jones had a great game, and not just on that interception. He looks like he's going to be a stud for Seattle. It was a very good draft pick right there. Absolutely. I mean, talk about the defensive line group as a whole. I mean, that was a great game for that group. I mean, Mm -hmm. they look outstanding all all around. Yeah, and you also have to keep in mind that, you know, we are still talking about Aaron Rodgers, and he 
is so good at getting the ball out quick. He's the best, he's, along with Brady. He's the, he, he's the best. He's so good at making all the line calls and uh, protection adjustments and everything that needs to happen, and so good at pre-snap adjustments and changing routes to take advantage of things to make it easier on himself. And he doesn't get uh, the credit for being as mobile as he is, he's got such a perfect pocket presence and his ability to move away from coverage or step up and, and all these things. And he looked like he was running for his life in a lot of this. I mean, Seattle's front four made his life very difficult, which is impressive given who he is. So I was very pleased. And you know, remember, Sheldon Richardson has only been in town for three practices. Yeah. Can you imagine, Keith, on Sunday against the 49ers offensive line, which is not very good. Um, and Brian Hoyer. Where the crowd is going to be like intensely loud and Richardson's going to feel that energy for the very first time and Clark's going to be back at home and Bennett and Averill. I mean, that defensive line is going to be a monster storm like completely reaching over the the top of the 49er offensive line with its jaws and they they the the new nickname for the line now is death row i think that's that's pretty pretty that's that's so one that's awesome i like that two my first instinct when you say that is shouldn't that be the nickname for seattle's offensive line yeah not the defensive line (laughs) (laughs) but no um no, that, that, oh man. So, th- and this is one of the things, this is a get right game for Seattle because they, the defense is going to dominate. I mean, 49ers just don't have the offensive talent. And, and so it's going to be just absolutely a domination. And so the offense is going to have an opportunity to yep. fix what needs to be fixed. Right. Well, uh, here's, here's the way I look at it too. Our defense is going to kick ass in this game. Because really, the 49ers only have three three players on offense. Um, Brian Horner, who's slightly underrated, mm-hmm. um, but yet always seems to not perform well. But I think he's been on underperforming teams, um, and he is on another one. Uh, Carlos Hyde at running back. Um, I like Carlos Hyde. He's, he think... picked up like, uh, what was it, like uh, – Almost a thousand yards last year on mm-hmm. in thirteen games, average like four point six yards a carry. Uh, that he's an underrated guy, but against Seattle's defense, I don't think he's going to get much more than like sixty yards. And then they've got Pierre Garcon, who they picked up. I really like Pierre Garcon uh, as a wide receiver, uh, and Brian Hoyer and Garcon have kind of a little connection going. But beyond that, there's nobody else to worry about for San Francisco. Their line is middling. Uh, any other uh, uh, players that they have that um, can can touch the ball are just okay. I don't see them scoring a lot at all. I mean, we're talking, you know, field goals, a couple field goals maybe. Um, but the strength of the 49er team is on their defensive line and linebackers. They've got DeForest Buckner, Solomon Thomas, who they picked up in the draft defensive end, uh, defensive tackle, uh, Arik Armistead. Uh, they got uh, Akello Witherspoon, who we liked as a uh, in the pre-draft um, uh, conversations that we had as a cornerback that would fit in Seattle's scheme, a real tall physical corner. 
They and they have a couple of old guys that uh, the Seahawks are familiar with: linebacker Brock Coyle and Malcolm Smith. Um, what do you think of the 49ers defense against our struggling offense, Keith? Well, the 49ers, uh, they have some talent up front. Uh, I like uh, the Buckner Thomas Armstead group on the line, but at the same time, uh, you know, Malcolm Smith is a name we recognize because of the Super Bowl MVP that he won, which I think he shouldn't have won. It should have gone to Cam Chancellor, but that's, a completely different story. Um, you know, him and Brock Coyle will get playing time as linebackers. These are guys that struggled to get on the field in Seattle. Um, you know, and when Coyle did, he was mostly ineffective. And when Malcolm Smith did, he had a good run that Super Bowl year, but the next year he was ineffective. And then they eventually, you know, right. let him go to, uh, to Oakland and in Oakland, he was again, ineffective. And so they, they let him go. Um, so if these guys, if you're depending on those guys to make plays, Seattle's gonna gonna be able to to do things and, and do them well. Um, Navarro Bowman, which is a guy that you uh, missed, is like an all-world linebacker. I we'll see because he's had a couple of of bad injuries over the last three years, yeah. and so hopefully uh, he you know isn't you know too beat up over that. Uh, I like watching Bowman play. To me, he's one of the best linebackers outside of Bobby Wagner I've seen like in a very long time. So um, the two players that worry me the most are, are Buckner and Thomas uh, yeah. Solomon Thomas because of our own uh, tackles. Otherwise they're, I don't, I wouldn't worry about them at all, but our offensive tackles are so poor with foot speed that I am a little concerned about those guys. Well, with, with, with both of them, they are, they're kind of Michael Michael Bennett like. They're not guys that are going to. They're not Cliff Averill, where they're going to sprint around the corner and seriously take advantage of um, Jermaine Effetti's like really slow feet. But they're powerful guys that can push guys back. And I actually think that Seattle's tackles will match up better against those kind of power um, rushers than they do against speed rushers and so i think there is some there there's some cause to for optimism in this game especially if you could put uh a guy like nick vanette next to one of them and just bump the the defensive uh end on the way out just to help our defensive tackles a little bit and you know you can you can scheme things around there and make it work especially because you know, the linebacker play isn't there. And so you don't have, like, on, you know, in the running game, there's not as much uh, urgency to get off the off, off the defensive lineman and to the second level. Um, they can they can hold those combo blocks a little longer um, because you know the linebackers aren't that good outside of Bowman. So th- there are some things that they can do to make to make this work. And, and I, I see the team doing... Uh, some of those things and being able to be successful in this game. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so too, especially our defense is going to give our offense every opportunity to, um, to change things around because they're not going to be able to move the ball in our defense. And uh, when we have the ball, uh, I believe you're right, Keith. I believe that the, the pressure is not going to be as great on Russell Wilson. I think he's going to have time. And when Russell Wilson has time, he's going to complete passes. 
Um, I think that this is going to be one of those games where we could put up 400 some odd yards on offense and hold their team to 250 yards or less. Yeah, uh, I, I, I've been looking at this game. I've been trying to figure out how San Francisco is going to score points. And I just don't see it. I, I honestly just don't see it. I think if if the Seahawks get a touchdown to so seven points, they win. Because I, I, I have a hard time seeing San Francisco scoring more than six. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, and the, and the 49ers have lost six straight to Seahawks. Um, they, uh, Seahawks have won eight of the last nine. In those six games, Seattle has combined score of 147 to 67. Wow. That's... That's impressive. Um, yeah. The 49ers, I think, are a team on the rise. I, I really like what Lynch is doing as their general manager and the talent that he's bringing in and the changes that he's making to that organization. I really do. But they are they are two years away um, because they just they've just gotten rid of so much talent from when they were actually good, and they don't I, they. Brian Hoyer isn't a guy which is going to lead this team to the playoffs. I mean, he's a, he is a better than people think quarterback, but he's, he's if he had a good team around him, he'd be good. I mean, he, last season he had four straight 300 yard games and yeah. you know a streak of 224 passes without an interception and so forth. He knows how to take care of the ball. He knows how to move the ball mm-hmm. down, down the field, but he's just got nothing to work with. Yeah, he really does it. And so I, I just, uh, they need linebacker help. They need cornerback help. They need offensive line help. They need receivers. Um, there's just yeah. There's so and, much and this, that they need yet. I still think they're right. two years away from being um, competitive with a team like Seattle, even though I think they are significantly improved over last year. So this this team plays directly into what Seattle likes to do. Uh, Seattle will uh, do everything that they possibly can do to shut down Hyde in the running game. So they will not allow the San Francisco 49ers to run the ball like at all. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not going to happen. And they'll make Hoyer beat you, which he's incapable of doing that because he doesn't have any tools to work with. So yeah, and this could easily be a shutout game. I don't, you know, and shutouts are hard to come by in, in the NFL, but you could see where it's going to be so difficult for them to move the ball. You could shut them out. If they really wanted to shut a team out, they could shut this team out. Yeah, I mean, oh, well, obviously they they would love to to shut out anyone, but it's it's so hard because the the margin of error is so thin. I mean, all you need is a deep pass to Garcon yeah. and a and a bad uh, defensive uh, pass interference call against someone to get him into field goal range, and boom, the shutout's gone. So I just right. don't see. I just don't see the that happening. I never predict it because, like I said, it's the margin for error is just razor thin if that's what your goal is. But I see this as being, a, like I said, if the CX scores seven, they win because I just don't see the San Francisco putting up more than six. So uh, something that is not written down in our notes, but I just want to ask you on our offense – uh, what do you expect our offense to be able to do against uh, the 49ers in this team? And who do you think has good games? Well, what I what I expect to see is for the Seahawks to do a better job of establishing their run. You're going to see more Chris Carson. 
you're going to set, set that up for you have a more consistent third and short type of situation. Uh, and you're going to see the Seahawks use more play action, get Jimmy Graham involved a little better. Uh, and, you know, to just sustain some drives and then use that to set up the shot plays to, to guys like Lockett and um, Paul Richardson. And I think what you're going to see is this is going to, we're going to go back to the prototype of what Seattle wants to be on offense, which is, you know, run first, short passes, play action passes, and then right. set up the big plays rather than run negative yards, get set up in third and long, have Russell Wilson run for his life and hope for a big play. Right. That's what it was last week. And so they're, they're, I really expect them to do that. I expect Carson to have a big game. I expect Wilson to do well. And I expect Jimmy Jimmy Graham to rebound because he had he had a couple of bad drops and and some problems this last game. It was not a good game for, for Jimmy Graham, and I expect him to rebound and play well. Yeah, I think this will be the antithesis of the Green Bay game, where it's everything that you thought the Seahawks could be on offense, I think kind of shows itself for the first time on this team. When you talked about uh, the 49ers being a, a get-right game, um, that's that's exactly what we're talking about. They're, they're able to do everything that they want to do uh, against the 49ers. Um, and it's it may not happen in the first quarter, but I think as time goes on in that game, they're going to settle in and really kind of methodically take that team apart. And I think we, you know, the line is 13 points, Vegas uh, early line on the Seahawks by 13. Uh, I think it's probably going to be end up closer than, to like 21. Uh, because I just I think it's probably end up I think that we could score thirty points this game and and hold San Francisco to uh, nine or ten points. See, I I I think that's a good line to be honest at thirteen because because Seattle's offense has struggled so much. Um, in order to beat a team by 13, you, I have know, to, Keith, right? you have to, you have to score 13 more than they do. Exactly. And, so, and if they give up, <laughs> if they give up six, which is what, you know, my <laughs> prediction is defensively, that means you gotta, you gotta, you gotta score 19 and you go, okay, where's 19 points coming from, from right. Seattle's offense? Well, you would have never have guessed yeah. it that looking at the Green Bay game, but I'm throwing that game out. That's my river rear view window. And uh, this game is a, is the get right game, like you said. Yeah. And I think you know the, the Seahawks, under normal circumstances against a normal team, are capable of scoring twenty four points. Yeah, you, they just they've got to fix what happened on the offensive line. I, and I think you run the same five guys out there. You don't uh, worry about making any any adjustments at this point. But you need to you need to plan on more uh, more help for the tackles. You know, more uh, running back staying in to pick up guys, more uh, help by the tight ends to pick up, you know, to, to help you know, and get that bump on the way out. And, you know, those kind of things just to give Wilson a little bit more time because if you give him just a little bit more time, we know what he can do. I mean, he is phenomenal. And that's what they got to do. They just got to figure out a little bit with the blocking and the offense will take off. And then after this game, we we go on the road again to Tennessee. You definitely want to be right before you go on the road to Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee is a game where they could uh, we could beat that team, um, no problem. But it is also a team that could come back and, and nip us a little bit. So mm-hmm. I think that 
everything. I think it's going to be okay. I mean, it's easy, really easy, especially given the performance, to dwell on the offensive line as being something that's holding our entire team back. Yes, it is, and it did in the Green Bay game. But going forward, I'm hoping that there's enough of these type of games against the 49ers and other opponents that are like that where we can build some momentum, some consistency, um, and, and give those guys some confidence to be able to to go in to, to play some of these tougher games um, because that's what it's going to take. I mean, they just need to be confident. They need to make some plays. They need to be able to sustain some drives. And I think that happens. It'll it, it'll get better. Yeah, the other thing that you look at is the Seahawks have an early bye. And I think that that is where we need to look at uh, before the Giants game uh, as the possibility for if if things haven't improved significantly on the line by then, that that's where we're going to see changes. That's where you're going to see Joko move outside to left tackle, Abushi come in um, at one uh, of the guard post-sick, spots. Maybe, maybe post it come in if he's ready. Um, you know, you're going to. I don't think we're going to see changes on the offensive line until that point. So the team has to figure. So what we need to see is them make it work. Uh, we need to see. I mean, Britt played well uh, despite the rest of the line not doing so, but we know Glowinski can play better than he did uh, because we saw it last year. And so he needs to step up and do better. We need. We know that Jermaine Fetty has the skills and talents to be a run blocker, and he struggled to run block yesterday. So let's get that right. Um, and. Well, if, let me ask you this, Keith. Where do you think the Green Bay uh, defensive front ends up this year as far as the kind of quality that they have? Maybe they're underrated a little bit. I don't think so. I think they're pretty average. I really just don't don't see them as a as a top unit. This isn't the Rams. This isn't um, – actually, if you watch the, the games from this week, uh, the Jaguars have a very, very good defensive line. Um and, you know, I don't see the Packers on that level. I just don't. So it's going to be one of those situations where, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they, they you know, over the course of the next, you know, month, we see them dominate regularly. And we go, oh, let's, let's go back and reevaluate. But at this point right now, I don't just don't see it. I see this as a, as a group which is, you know, middle of the middle of the road, league, league you know, around the league. So you have... They're not outstanding, but they're not bad. I and mean, this isn't like you're you've got a, the Saints out there dominating Seattle's offensive line. Um, well, let me ask you this then: is is the is our could any of our poor performance be attributed to uh, other teams just knowing us so well, knowing what we want to do? We've already said out loud that we want to establish the run, so they're going to go ahead and try to take care of that, take away that right up front. We know that we run bubble screens. We know we want to ex- try to extend the field and so forth. So they know exactly what we want to do. And, you know, that's great, fine and dandy for a team that has a really, really good, high-end quality offensive line that can dominate no matter what, even if you know what we want to do. Against a team where you don't, it's kind of easier to take advantage of that, I think. See, I, in theory, yes. But when I look at how Seattle failed, they didn't fail because the other team knew what was coming and had the, the defense set up to stop it. The Seattle's offense failed because the linemen couldn't block anyone, and there was too many unblocked guys in the backfield, whether it was a running play or a passing play. There were too many green shirts in the backfield 
right at the snap. And that was the reason why the team struggled. And so I don't think it has anything to do with uh, the other team knowing what was coming. Fair enough. Fair enough, Keith. I, you know, I, I'm still faithful to the team and to the idea that we're going to get this ship, uh, write it up. And I, that's really the only thing I can hope for. I mean, I have no evidence <laughs> to support that, uh, until they actually do it on the field. So I'm hoping the 49er game will, will, will do that for me. So anything else, Keith, before we wrap up the show? Um, no, not at all. Although I, I did have someone, uh, email in a question for us. If you think we have time for it. Let's do uh, it. And this was in response to our beer show uh, back before uh, camp started. In July. And, yes. And so their question for us was, what is our local, our, our favorite local microbrew and our, our, fav- or our favorite local brewery and favorite local beer? Interesting. So since we had a beer show, we had a beer question. So you, keep, why don't keep, you start? Well, I like, have one? I like Bend. I like Bend, Oregon, not only for the location, but they've got some really good beers in Bend. And uh, I don't have anything specific because I'm not a huge beer drinker. But the last time I went to Bend, I I tried. They have the, the, the samplers that you can get where you've got like the five or seven. Uh, a, f- a flight, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, dude. None of them were bad. So I, I like them all from Bend. But I can't be specific because I'm I'm just not a huge beer knowledge guy, honestly. I'll just be honest. So, so I've actually, you answer that. I have a ton, and so when it, when the question asks for a favorite, I go oh, crap because I got to pick. <laughs> um, so here's some here's some one. Uh, if you're looking for a good local uh, brewery that most people haven't heard of, uh, it's in Bellevue. It's called it's Go Brewing, but Go spelled like you're from uh, New Orleans, so it's G E U X or whatever it is. Uh, Go Brewing in Bellevue, they put together a Vienna Lager, which is outstanding. Um, and don't ask me what it's called because it's not pronounceable if you're not from Louisiana. So uh, there's a good one. Um, probably one of my lo- my favorites would be from Pike Brewing right there next to Pike Street Market. Uh, the Kilt Lifter Scottish Ale is... I've had that before. That's a, a, that's just outstandingly good. Yeah, I really um, like Scottish Ale too. That's one of my faves. Yeah, so, so those are those are a couple of my favorites. If you're looking um, across the water in Kidsap, uh, Silver City Brewing's got uh, Panther Lake Porter over there, which I have always thought to be, you know, one of the one of the better porters I've ever had. Plus, that's also kind of in the area where I grew up, so I'm a little partial to there. Uh, it, for those of you that are a little further south, like you know Vancouver, um, you there's a lot of good options. Uh, Trapdoor Brewing in Vancouver's got uh, right now they've got a breakfast stout, which is an imperial stout, um, and it is absolutely amazing. And they're their Tiger Trap coffee stout was, is great. Uh, cross the river into Portland, and there are so many breweries, it's hard to imagine that you could ever try all the beer down there. But uh, there are some some really good ones. The I prefer, if I'm going over there, Ten Barrel is there, and they've got just a number of great 
uh, Brews Deschutes is over there, and you can never go wrong with Black Butte Porter, even though it's not really a micro anymore because it's everywhere. Um, and I could probably keep going. Yeah. Uh, do you, you've, if you're done, in, you've done well. <laughs> if you're in if you're in Spokane, there's um, there's River City Brewing and the River City Red is pretty good, but I'm very partial to their uh, vanilla bourbon porter that they make. In fact, my um, vanilla bourbon stout was absolutely inspired by their vanilla bourbon uh, over. So that's in Spokane. I could keep going. Wow. I, got one for, I got one for Sandpoint, Idaho. See, now, when you opened, when you opened that question <laughs> and you told me to answer it, I knew that you were just setting me up because I, I don't have an answer to that question. You're the one that's the expert. So, See, here's the thing is people are going to say that I'm um, – that I'm somebody asked that question, and since I had the question, I, I, I sat down and prepared this answer. <laughs> I, but yeah, Bill is, is looking at me through um, – through the Skype thing here and knows that I'm not looking down at notes. I'm yeah, literally oh, doing no, that from yeah. my head. So, Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You have all that knowledge built right into your, your brain and I do not. So good job with that answer though. Cause I wrote a couple of those down cause I, I need to know more and I need to be able to be prepared at least on the podcast to be able to answer questions like that. And I think it's my duty to go out and <laughs> try to, uh, try to get better at, at beer knowledge. And I think I will knowing you. So, so Keith, I'm going to ask you a favor. Can you close the show? Because I can barely breathe and um, you can. I can. Oh yeah, I guess I can. There's <laughs> the, the fight, the wind shifted. So our air is not full of smoke anymore. Um, so therefore we don't, I can breathe. So that's a nice thing. So uh, everyone, thank you very, very much for, for listening in. Um, this was episode 28, which is crazy for a weekly show that we have, it just does not feel like we've been doing this for over um, six months, but we have. Um, so thank you for listening. You can find our show uh, on the website at hawksplaybook.com. Uh, you can subscribe, subscribe to us at iTunes, blog talk radio, any podcast app that you have. Um, you can find us on Twitter. The show is at Hawks playbook. Uh, you can find me at Myers NFL. You can find Bill at Northwest Seahawk. And we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're just about everywhere. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Awesome, Keith. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everyone. Thanks a lot. Yep. Take care. Hey, Hawks fans. Thanks for listening to the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Blog Talk Radio. And listen to all of our shows on hawksplaybook.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at hawksplaybook. Bill is at NWC Hawk, and Keith is at Myers NFL.